the medical system is ran by insurance and numbers and money. So that nurse has to chart and document on you according to the standards of care. They have all of that responsibility where as like a doula, you get to go in there and just be the person that that person needs you to be. Hello, I'm Carolyn and this is What Doulas Know. I'm a doula, the mother of two, and for over 40 years, a registered nurse. My goal is to educate, support, and empower before, during, and after pregnancy with a special emphasis on labor and childbirth. All information presented in this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. The persons presenting the episodes are not licensed doctors. You should consult a qualified medical professional before making any decisions regarding your health, including any decisions based on information presented here. Hello, it's Carolyn and What Doulas Know. Today's guest is Jennifer Steinke, and I first met Jennifer at a Birth with Spirit doula training where she was assisting and co-teaching. I connected with Jennifer in a way because we are both experienced registered nurses that became certified doulas. Uh, Jennifer is also a board-certified lactation consultant, and she includes craniosacral therapy in her practices. Her complete bio will be at whatdoulasknow.com website so you can read all about her. So Jennifer, I just want to chat with you a little bit about part of your journey on being a labor and delivery nurse and then deciding to be a doula. So how long were you a labor and delivery nurse? So right after I got out of nursing school, um, I kind of floated down to OB and our OB unit was um, postpartum labor and delivery all in one. So I was doing a lot of postpartum care as a new nurse at first. Um, So I think I was there steady five years full-time labor delivery doing more birth than postpartum. But our unit was so small that even though I was doing postpartum, if my patients were sleeping at night, I could slide into a labor room and watch the process. So what was your favorite part? I, I guess it might have been the getting to be both. I would say my favorite part was just being present in all of it. Like postpartum, the bonding that takes place between a mom and a baby and a dad, that skin to skin after birth, like all of that magical stuff happening right there. Um, But when I went on nights and I would slip into women's rooms that were delivering without epidurals, I really, it was like this magical sense of being in there and watching and not having any responsibility in it, but watching like the woman trust her body and the doctor working with her. So at that time, there was an older doctor that really sticks out in my mind. His name was Dr. Budadev. Um, He would just sit there and be so calm and quiet that you barely knew he was there. And just at the right times, he would just say, you're doing really great. Good job. And he would like massage their perineums and was, it was just really quiet. So it was, it was wonderful to see like the woman be super like powerful and in tune with her body and going with the flow. And then the doctor, it wasn't about the doctor. It wasn't about the nurses with him in that room. It was just being there and being supportive of the, the woman. It was just, um, I think I had two kids prior to that. So watching that and having my own birth, birth experiences and then watching him with those women, I was just, 
and all. So with my third kid, I switched to him. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can see that. So did you feel like he was empowering, you said, because I hear many, many stories where they feel like the physician takes away the woman's power with choices for interventions. Every time I watched him at night when I was working nights and I wasn't a labor nurse at that time, you could just feel that he trusted them and trusted the process. And even if they were trying to like forcefully push, he would like encourage them to slow down, give it time, let the baby's head sit on the perineum. Like he would say all of these calm things that really like he was just amazing to watch. That's awesome. So from him, n- no, I, I didn't feel that from him at all. And that's why I felt safe switching providers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to okay. Him. So then when did you decide to switch to being a doula? How did that come about? So that came about um, before I left the hospital. I trained a childbirth educator and lactation consultant. So I wasn't doing as many deliveries unless they were short, and then I would step in for a delivery. And I would get the natural ones because they would come in and go really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was doing lactation, um, I went to conferences and heard about tongue ties. And then I was like, oh, my older kids have tongue ties. That's what their issues are. And then I met Dr. Notestein. And then Mm -hmm. I met April Klein. And then I learned about cranial sacral. So I started transitioning out of the hospital to do cranial sacral. But I knew I had a lot of friends around me that were still having babies and people. And I just wanted people to still have that really great support. So when April talked about creating a doula course and teaching, she asked me if I would do more of like um, the childbirth side that I was used to teaching. Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. How do you feel the difference is in how you can relate to the woman giving birth Different from the RN. We need the RN and the doula in the room. Right. Um, So as an RN, your responsibility is to make sure everything's safe. Um, And most people realize, like, the medical system is ran by insurance and numbers and money. Like, it is. It's a business. So that nurse has to chart and document on you according to the standards of care. And when you're taking your self either out of the room as a nurse to chart or charting at the bedside and you're taking your focus off of her to keep up on your charting like that breaks something the woman can feel that you've shifted your focus from her to chart so I used to as a nurse sometimes save all of that charting and just make chicken scratch and do that later and then I was late out of work three hours because I was charting the birth afterwards but I could feel that as a nurse that like that would break when I would do that charting. So they have the liability there as a nurse to make sure everything's charted the way it has to be documented. They have to report to the provider constantly. So they have all of that responsibility where as like a doula, you get to go in there and just be the person that that person needs you to be, that laboring mother, what that father needs you to be. Like, you're kind of that mothering figure over them. You're just filling in where they need you, and you're helping in the situation where you you see that they need you. Where as a nurse, you can even get pulled out of a labor situation because somebody else needs you. The RN patient load is not just one. 
Not always. Some some facilities are blessed to have that. Um, where I worked at, we were usually good about having one-on-one care with a laboring woman. Um, but that's the ideal situation. But the reality is, especially in these bigger facilities, no, they usually have more responsibility. Do you feel that the hospital, not just your hospital, but any hospital where the uh, labor and delivery happens, do you feel like they do a good job? I know the... Um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists just came out with another opinion on um, minimal in- interventions for labor and delivering. Mm-hmm. So they gave uh, they have a complete um, recommendations and conclusions here, and they talk about epidurals. They talk about uh, pitocin. They talk mm-hmm. about all of that. So do you feel like that the hospitals keep up with those recommendations, or do you feel – in your people that you have helped as a doula and as a the um, craniosacral person, do you feel like when you go into a hospital that they don't try to do an epidural, that they don't try to, that they've read all these, that there's been an in-service on what the recommendations are now? Right. So I feel like from an education standpoint, they are educated. But you have to realize like those facilities are so layered with the way they work, right? So you have nurses that may have never had kids before taking care of you, or you may have nurses that had horrendous deliveries themselves and had to be on medication. So therefore, then they felt like they had to get an epidural. So they have their own bias about labor and what labor is like. And maybe not all of them are getting their own work done and working through that, that that's not normal. And what set you up for that process to need so many medical interventions. So there's a lot of layers to why hospitals function the way they do. The human factor. Right. I mean, as a lactation consultant, we know that comes into play all the time. I mean, we used to have pediatricians that would recommend moms to pump because they were a pumping mom. So then they would recommend moms, well, if, if that's going wrong, just pump. Just pump. Pumping's fine. But, like, that's because they their experience was all pumping. So they mm-hmm. didn't know how to then guide moms with breastfeeding. It's the hospital so layered with that. And then you have physicians, too, that have a history of having different birth processes where they've seen really scary things happen. So sometimes having a woman that's totally in control with an epidural – it gives the physician more ease because that woman is under control, like to them. Does that make sense? Yes. Like a woman that is going into labor naturally on their own, the physician and medical staff have no control over her. She's listening to her body and she's really the boss. They'll tell you a lady that is in her own body without an epidural or meds. They'll tell you, I need to get on my hands and knees. I need to sit in a squatting position. No, I'm not sitting on the monitor for 15 minutes because that's not comfortable. Where when it's the other way around that somebody has medications on board and has an epidural, you can kind of control the situation more. You can turn her every 15 to 30 minutes. She doesn't require your time more than that because she doesn't have pain. Mm -hmm. Where a a lady that's laboring naturally, like they need you just to be present with them and go through the process with them. I think it just makes some people uncomfortable to, to be patient, mm-hmm. to let nature and let somebody else be in control. Because 
obviously, I was married. I mean, my late husband was a physician. And when he walked into the surgery room, he was in control. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was sometimes a matter of life and death, period. Yeah. So I think that is the mentality when the doctor walks into the room. He wants to be in control. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to give that over right. to the woman who is actually the one that needs to be in control. Right. I mean, if you take control in any other situation of life and think of like surrendering and giving your control away, for most of us, that's really, really hard to do. And then you're asking medical doctors, which I mean, you have to realize too, labor and delivery is like one of the biggest lawsuit areas ever. So what what is that doing to a physician? They went into that practice because they love their patients. They love delivery. They love the magic of that. But now here they have to get really high insurance policies because their risk of getting sued is super high. Right. So they want to keep everything safe and controlled yeah. because of fear. Right. They don't want anything to go wrong. Mm-hmm. There's an art to birth. There's this art side of trusting your body. And I mean, right now we're doing this podcast and viruses are all out there. Oh my gosh, there's viruses everywhere. Kids are sick everywhere. Schools are closing because of sicknesses. And how many parents are trusting the process of a virus, allowing it to run its course, allowing a fever to elevate to actually kill the germs that are inside the body instead of being like, oh, their fever's too high. I better give some Tylenol Motrin. Like trusting the process. So how many of us are programmed as young kids then not to trust our bodies, not to trust the process? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we teach our kids like fevers are good. Your body's doing what it's supposed to. Let's rest. Let's eat some green veggies. Let's mm-hmm. like boost your immune system naturally. We're going to stay in the house. We're not going to go to school. We're not going to do crazy stuff. Like, let's just veg out for a couple days. Right. Trust your body. Feel what your body's doing. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's one thing that I want to get across with these episodes is it's okay to trust your body. It's part of it. Right. But if we can teach women through childbirth to trust their body and how amazing and powerful they really are, they go into motherhood being super empowered and Mm -hmm. they trust their body and then they trust their baby. And like what a beautiful process that is. Yeah, that that really is. Okay. Um, I do want to kind of go back when we were talking at April Klein's book signing. She wrote the book Small Changes profound results, which is awesome. Uh, She writes about 25 simple tools to help um, you live your life, your best life. You talked, uh, you gave a little bit of a story um, about the sales pitch from a a doctor. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about how you felt that come around in that birth you were attending. So um, at a random store, there was this lady that was probably like in her 50s and was telling me her birth stories. This is very common for people to tell me their birth stories randomly. And she was talking about how she back then had a birth plan and she walked into the facility and could feel control being taken away from her. She had to sit in bed, but she didn't want to sit in bed. Her body said she needed to be moving, but they, they needed her to sit in bed so she could feel that slowly slip away. And then she said the doctor came in and said, don't you want to take the edge off of that pain? We could just give you a little bit of something. And she's like, you know, when you're in the moment and you're not really thinking clearly because you're in the process of birth, taking the edge off wasn't a bad thing. 
And she said that then he came back in a couple hours later and gave her a sales pitch. Given her a sales pitch of why to get the epidural. You don't need to go through that pain. You don't need to experience that. This is the Cadillac of medications. You will have a delivery that feels like you're riding in a Cadillac. I, I've seen that done in other ways. It's it's sold to the woman, right? Mm-hmm. Can you, Do you have that experience as a nurse too? Like thinking back of, I mean, I can even think of that in like med surge background and when I was in nursing school, like you could just feel the physicians kind of come in. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I've found is so many people in their childhood have been taught to respect exactly what the physician says. Yes. So I'll have a lot of people come to me and say, and I'm like, well, you can get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. You can choose not to do that right now or the classic April thing is just give us a minute, mm-hmm. wait a minute, and let me think about that. Um, can you come back in 20 minutes and I will have discussed it? Because I think that you have to prepare yourself before you ever go in for a delivery of how you're going to react and, and to stay calm and to stay focused and believe in yourself instead of falling for that sales pitch. I, I mean, we're very vulnerable when we're having a baby. There's no two ways about it. That's why I think it's so important to have a great support system. And your support people need to not be walking in that situation with fear as well. I've seen as a bedside nurse too, many times moms totally could push through birth and labor beautifully, but they also have had a support person, a husband at the bedside that's fearful of the process oh, you don't want to feel that pain. Just go ahead and get that epidural because it makes them uncomfortable to see her going through the process. Mm-hmm. It's uh, choose your people well. Yeah. And have a discussion before you ever get to that part. Mm-hmm. And that's what the doula is invaluable. In my mind, the doula is invaluable during the birth process, but also in preparing right. and getting you ready and giving you the tools and the power to be able to trust. Right. And as a doula, as a nurse, I will support anybody in their decision-making as long as they've been given the true facts of the basis of their decision. So I've had multiple women that I've experienced amazing births with that's had epidurals. Absolutely. And I love them through that. And I think they're amazing. They're just as amazing as a mom that gives birth without an epidural. Like, I'm there to support them with their goals. Right. Respect, non-judgmental, yeah. and just fully, fully supportive. Yeah. I mean, the medical community is awesome and amazing for crisis care. Like, when you need them, they can really do amazing things. I've seen that multiple times. Multiple times. Yes. But it's not for everybody, and birth is definitely a place where you really don't typically need a lot of medical intervention if you've prepared right. Right. Well, thank you, Jennifer. This has been awesome. So that's another episode of What Doulas Know. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Doulas Know. You can learn more about the show and my guests at whatdoulasknow.com. Please rate and review this show. It helps get more exposure and reach additional people. Peace to all. Thanks. Thanks.